0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And joining me today, a very special guest. I was going to say his full name, but he has informed me that it is much like Bono and Cher. It's just one name. Om founded the website back in 2001, GigaOm. And he's appeared in many publications, New Yorker, Fast Company, Wired, and on many TV news and radio shows. Now, a venture partner emeritus at True. So Om, thanks for joining me today.
1: Nice to be here. Yeah, uh, Thank you for having me. It's been an interesting journey so far, this life, and whatever it's brought me.
0: Because when you started GigaOM, I, on your website, I believe it treats it as a technology blog, you were kind of just writing about consumer technology and the, what was coming out at the time, right?
1: Well, I think back in like early, uh, during the early days of the internet, like the 90s, post Netscape, IPO, people might have forgotten there was a company called About.com, and uh, I used to publish a web page on it, like a side web page on it, essentially writing about you know all the cool infrastructure technologies involved in in the internet, whether it was chips and routers and switches, <laughs> that kind of stuff. No one cared about back then. They still don't care about it even now. <laughs> but I did. I would have certain like a little bit of gossip from my. Right, my day job and like, which could not go into the, the <laughs> and so it. I decided that it was easier to do an email uh, as an email. And as a, the website was just a normal, you know, it was like part of a big company. So I ended up right. turning that into a, a small email newsletter. And that was like, had about 500 people reading it. In 2000 or so, I had discovered Blogger the tool yes and I just thought wow this is just easier to publish it uh, on the web so I kind of took the newsletter away and published started publishing on the web but it wasn't really a blog per se it was more like like it, it had like all the links to my articles and mm-hmm. occasionally I would write like something special but it wasn't like the blog as we came to know what blogging was, but that in two thousand one is when it actually became a full blog in which I wrote about everything I was interested in, which was like telecom and you know networks and yeah. all the scandals in the networks and all the <laughs> dot com scandals and but like a lot of it was reporting based, so I was yeah. actually posting original reporting right on my blog like i was talking to people what had happened was i had worked most of my life in a daily publication right and i went to go work for red herring which was like a monthly magazine and i i didn't i did not know how to react to it i had so much information yeah and like i'm writing big feature stories for the magazine and all this information is basically dying in my inbox and <laughs> in my like notebooks and it's like no i'm just going to post it and you know I wasn't thinking about anything special. It was just my own problem I wanted to solve, which was, you know, I had all these like scoops and information is like, yeah, yeah. Plus also, I don't know if, I mean, you're too young to remember this because in 2001, 2002 timeframe, like there was a certain Dislike and skepticism of internet and technology. Oh, for sure. Because the bubble had burst and, right. you know, everybody thought, oh, the, the party is over. <laughs> the way I wrote about it was like, for me, I'm a true believer in this thing. I, from the early 90s, I thought this was going to be a really big opportunity and it was going to be like a yeah i called it the story of my life internet the story of my life like right the, the pun as a reporter
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: i could not believe that people were being so skeptical of it and like when it was pretty clear that you know the the financial shenanigans were over and you know, the internet itself was not slowing down. More people were signing up, more people were buying services and, you know, all those things. Like, right. so I couldn't understand any of those things. You know, I don't know, it was like 20 years later, you see this, you know, the pattern repeat itself. Like right. there is a lot of skepticism of technology and success of technology and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, so you see these cycles happen, but, you know, I have belief that, The internet in itself is is a force of, you know, massive change in our society. And we always underestimate it on both on the good side and the bad side. Right. That's our fault, not the the network's fault. (laughs) All the problems we talk and associate with technology, it's, they're all about our limitations and not technology's limitations because we Hmm. lack the imagination to control what it can be or imagine what it can be.
0: So that's what I love following you on Twitter for is kind of these pontifications of what technology will mean for the future. And this was a small feature that Apple announced at WWDC, but I'll be curious how you feel it will impact the future. They announced SharePlay, which was the ability to share your watching experience or listening experience whether you're watching a movie, TV show or listening to music with someone that you're FaceTime video calling and you can have that synchronized experience. This is something other streaming services have done like Netflix and Hulu, but Apple is doing it, which is going to bring it to a much wider audience. And you tweeted about it saying that this is a small but important step towards that synchronous real time internet experience. Do you feel like as we go into the future, that kind of synchronous entertainment or synchronous experience is going to be a big role in people's lives?
1: You know, the reason I keep going back to real-time and synchronous internet is mostly because all great conversations happen in real-time. You know. Yeah. Even the phone calls are synchronous. Right. Right. I don't know. When I was younger and you want to talk to a girl, you called her and there was an (laughs) emotion involved in the whole thing. You were nervous to call her and like, I don't know what she's going to say. Will she go out with me or not? And like, fast forward to today, we... Video should be doing exactly the same thing. I mean, we as friends like to watch TV together. I remember going to my friend's house to watch a cricket game or watching MTV and like talking about it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it was a communal experience communications are more impactful when they are communal and and they create a sense of collaboration and which is why I look at anything which you know results in stuff like more togetherness yeah excites me and I think we've had like you know almost 30 years of like a network which is asynchronous right like it hasn't mm-hmm. had the ability to create synchronized experiences right but when you have a synchronous interaction internet real time internet experience you don't need a lot of people for internet to work you need a few a handful like the whole idea of the internet is now based on scale it's still a broadcast network but when you have a share play like thing it becomes more intimate it becomes more personal it becomes about You and I, and the friendships and the family. So, I think that's why I look at SharePlay and I just say, wow, this is like pretty cool. Like, (laughs) and I'm old compared to all the other people, right? Like, who are actually grown up native on FaceTime. Right. There's a whole generation. We forget. There is a whole generation which has had FaceTime for the most of their life, like a decade. Right. I have, I have two goddaughters who just natively FaceTime me all the time. They're like four and three. <laughs> right like just kind of right it's their default mode of communication so what Apple is doing is just basically keeping up with the times in many ways right for the future audience
0: yeah so my i have three kids my oldest is 12 my youngest just turned five they do not know what a landline is they don't know what any corded phone or cordless phone we've never had a home phone you know our entire lives so and they facetime that's their natural deal the facetime friends and play a video game at the same time and that synchronous experience and so my next question for you is you you've tweeted about social networks and things like that. And social networks, I think, have been more of the asynchronous experience. You tweet, you post on Facebook, on Instagram, comments come in later. It's not a shared experience. Overall, do you feel like social networking in those arenas, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, has had has that had a net negative effect? And do you think that those kinds of social networking will continue In the future, like 40 years from now, are we going to have a Facebook or Twitter?
1: It's pretty hard to predict what we will have in, in like 10 years or 15 years. But, you know, we still have Yahoo. And Yahoo has been dead for like <laughs> right. 10 years, apparently. Right?
0: So, <laughs> I think oh, Yahoo might argue that they're dead, but I can't yeah, take your point. Yeah.
1: But you know what my point is. Yeah, like no one kind of wakes up to think like, I'm going to go to yahoo.com. and No. You know, mm. I mean, I go there because my baseball, fantasy baseball team is in there. Right. Otherwise, I would never use that service. Right, like, right, right. And it's the same thing with all these social networks. I think Facebook's reality is that, you know, I wrote a piece about this. I said, we eventually all of us... become get Yahoo in life like whether you're a tech company or an individual or like an artist or a you know a creator you, you know everybody has a time and place and, and and then they're just gone like i feel that like the next generation of media is going to be very different mm. next generation of social platforms are going to be very different the reason i'm saying those are two separate things facebook and twitter and instagram and youtube they are social media platforms. There is very little sociability there, right? They started out being very social, right. but they eventually became media platforms,
0: mm. which
1: use the social dynamics to essentially intensify our feelings about whether it was content or images or towards politics or sports, right? They became social media platforms whose core, competency is to intensify and amplify feelings and messages right that's what they do they never are about communications like mm all great social networking still happens inside small intimate groups right? right i have a group on whatsapp with my college friends i have one with my childhood friends on telegram i have other group with a few of my technology friends on on uh, telegram so yeah. there is a lot of intimacy in in that kind of but it's very communication based right yes we do share photos and we share links and we you know we say stupid things but they are all about communicating with each other, like and but they're not by they're not five hundred people or five thousand people. It's just like five people or seven people.
0: Yeah. So I recently heard from the Patreon CEO. He was on a podcast with Nilay Patel, Decoder, is the podcast, and he was talking about creators and what the next season for creators and income and interacting with their fan base, what that will look like in the future. And he argued that creators now when they live on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, they're really building the social network's platform. They're really building YouTube's platform or Twitter's platform because at any time, those networks like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, they could change the algorithm. They could change how much of the posts from a creator are surfaced to their audience. They kind of have all the keys. And so the Patreon CEO is saying, we need more places where creators can have full access to the fans that want to see their work and not so much this algorithmic gatekeepers yeah. like these other networks. How, what do you think about that and creators?
1: Well, I think he's a little bit self-serving, right? Like he wants more people sure, to sure. host their content on Patreon and it'll help Patreon become bigger. So yeah, that said, I think he, there is element of truth to the fact that we've helped make these platforms become big. Right, but is it is it a one way street? I don't think so. I mean, if they want a billion people on, on YouTube, yeah. can Rene Ritchie or right. MKPD. you know, do you think they will have like millions of followers on, you know, like the way they have? Like right. trying to build an audience of millions of people isn't that easy. No. So yes, you know, these platforms have benefited from all the efforts of the creators, and you know, they have a an outsized control on what creators, you know, reality is and how they get exposed, their content gets exposed to others. Like, you know, censorship has been a topic of conversation about, you know, when it comes to social platforms, but a lot of us won't have the audience either. Like, you know, I know Mm. myself, right? Like had it not been for like, you know, Facebook, but like, you know, I would not deny that these companies are now being very autocratic and I guess... You know, when you're a business, you just, it's a businessman. It's not about you, (laughs) you know, Sure, it's about them. They need to make a lot of money to justify their market cap and all those kind of things. I think we often get caught up in, in, in the emotional part of it, but also maybe because I'm older now, I can look past that and just say, well, there's a lot of people, you know, who we may hate Google or we may hate Facebook or we may hate Apple all those stocks are in our 401k plans and our retirement plans and we are all benefiting from it while publicly hating on it on them so
0: yeah and i guess the argument comes more from the smaller creator who maybe they've built 10,000 fans on their facebook page and they see that when they post to their facebook page facebook will say you've reached 1.5% of your audience pay to boost your post and reach more And that's when it feels, you know, did did I build an audience that is actually following me or or have I built a way for Facebook to monetize my access to them?
1: Well, definitely, like you've helped create the monster.
0: This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. You've heard me talk about meal kits in the past, but HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And I have to tell you, the recipes and meals that they offer from HelloFresh are second to none. HelloFresh sends you pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes, and they deliver it right to your door. One of the hardest things about trying to plan meals is getting recipes together and getting new meal ideas and trying to find them on the internet. You know, you have to go through all those Life stories of everyone before you even get to the recipe. Well, HelloFresh cuts out all that stressful meal planning and the grocery store trip, so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about thirty minutes or less. And HelloFresh is twenty-eight percent cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store. And eating healthier has never been easier. They have locale, carb-smart, vegetarian, and even pescatarian options every week, and so you can choose and customize those meals every time you go onto HelloFresh. HelloFresh's high-quality, fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week, contact-free. And there's something for everyone to enjoy. When I went on there to order some meals, just listen to some of these meal titles. White Cheddar Wonder Burgers, Szechuan Beef, and Green Beans. This is the kind of stuff I would order at a restaurant one-pot chicken sausage and kale soup. And for a veggie option, they have chickpea tinga tacos. You got to try HelloFresh. You will not be disappointed. So go to HelloFresh.com slash AppleInsider14 and use the promo code AppleInsider14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. You have to try it out. Apple Insider 14 is the promo code hellofresh.com slash appleinsider14 there'll also be a link in show notes you can just click there go directly to the website and use the promo code appleinsider14 all one word hellofresh.com slash appleinsider14 to try America's number one meal kit our thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode
1: definitely like you've helped create the monster (laughs) We've created the monster, right? Yes, yes. But the thing is, it's not like we did not get anything out of it. Right, right. Right. Like we are, where, where else, like trying to build an, audience of like millions of people you need to start with billions of people right it's true it's a circular argument like, you know like, yeah, it's yeah, like chicken know. and egg we don't know what came first but the fact is that yes now they have an outsized control on what we see how we see right when we see and where we see it like yeah. that is definitely an issue you know but like we cannot also deny the fact that they did bring something to the table
0: for sure so as we talk about maybe legislation you said a lot of them operate autocratically when we look at apple they've been in the news a lot with their app store and the policies the 30% cut and you were tweeting recently about you know, if Apple is big enough now for developers who make less than a million dollars, maybe Apple should just take no more cut. They just give those de- smaller developers 100% of their revenue.
1: Yeah, I think my my view is like the money they make from the App Store is probably as much as the, the money they make from a couple of weeks of profit from the iPhone sales. Right. Right? My point is like, if you took basically... If anyone is making up to a million dollars, you basically make this service free for them. Anyone above that, you pay, you have a tiered structure, 15%. Right. Right. And that's it. End of the story. Like you have costs involved with people. Like if people are making 15, like if making a million dollars or less, you know, you can charge 5% because that is your actual cost of doing business. But the point being is like, you really need the money because if you do, And you're a business because your real business is selling (laughs) iPhones and iPads with like 60% plus, you know, net margin, a gross margin, right? So why would you want to let more people buy more apps, more people live on your, in your, it's sort of like, you know, there are states which don't charge you income tax and use sales tax as a way to boost their revenues. So if they took that approach and then saying, if you are bigger than that, you get 15%. So it's a pretty, easy solution for them.
0: Do you think with the whole Epic Games and Apple court case, and now even the U.S. government getting more involved in sideloading and such, and Apple released a white paper recently, all about side loading and talking about why it would be a bad idea. What do you think? Do you think that's something Apple should consider allowing?
1: No, no. I, I you know, I'm in the camp where if the legislators want to force them to take less money and less cut and I just think the whole the legislators are not understanding the implications of all that. The sheer lack of privacy options right now we have like uh, makes it impossible. I mean, this is one of the main, it's like, it's a feature, like, you know, the privacy is a feature for Apple and any changes to that, you know, would be a problem, right? You know, I mean, I don't want to sound as an Apple apologist, just to be clear. I like, I think there is a lot of issues with the company, but the core point here is that if any core changes are made to how the environment works, it's going to have an impact on privacy. This is why I have a problem with politicians trying to get involved in technology right. with a very limited understanding of long-term impact. They're just trying to get elected in the next four years, right? right? That's what it really is. Problem with politics, not just in the U.S. but worldwide, is everybody is just trying to get elected again. That's it. That's all they think. Just like the stock market is all about getting the next three months. Yeah, yeah. Whereas everything worth making and doing has to be thought in long term, which is how you know the Apple approach to policy and a privacy and policy has been. You know, people complain about Apple in China. Well, that's Chinese jurisdiction. You don't live in China. You want to go to China, then you're going to have to live like how the Chinese live. And so right. when, at least in the U.S., we have certain rights yes. which come with the Apple products. So I kind of fear that like we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like just too much populist you know, thinking around technology, the media is happily, you know, talking about being very much more like, let's do this. And like the big tech is evil. Like, yes, it is. Right? Why are we talking about it now, long after the horse has bolted the bomb? Yeah. Right. Like, I think why aren't we like actively talking about like, what what can they do in the future? You know, things you sh- like this app store thing, it's like, yo, reduce the fees. Great. You know? They should be doing okay. Well, let's get on to
0: something maybe a little more fun. You, you've been tweeting about the the M1 iPad and iPad OS 15. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the new device, the new operating system?
1: So I love the iPad. You know, I work on iPad, iPad Pro. The only time, like, I'm using the Apple Mac right now, mostly to do this call with you
0: <laughs> to record. Yeah,
1: I mean, I would not use it. Like the other time, I use it when I'm using Photoshop. That's it. Gotcha. I like I live on my iPad. Like twenty, I probably use it. 14 out of 15 hours in front of a computer.
0: So we've talked a lot about iPad at Apple Insider, and I use it a lot too. I edit podcasts on it in Fairrite, the app. It's a great, awesome device. Do you wish that Apple would add any more power features or utility to the iPad Pro so you'd have some more flexibility? So you could do something like this Zoom call and record it on your iPad rather than your Mac? I
1: mean, I do everything on it. Like every app I need to use is on iPad, like Grammarly, Otter. I use Lightroom, CC.
0: What do you think of the new Safari iPad OS 15?
1: Oh God, I hate the design of that product. It just is like, <laughs> you know, this is when you like, kind of thing. Just, they have too many too many designers at Apple. They just have forced this change on it. Right. Uh, that's like a change for the sake of change. Because
0: it just obscures controls that were just readily Everything, available. Everything.
1: Oh my God. It is so poor. It's just uh, an aggressive product. Like product-wise, it's much better, but right, right. the UI is just not very good.
0: When you hide functions that you use often, like to refresh a web page, you know, when you have to add two to three steps to do that, it's not great. Yeah. You know, it's not a great experience. So... So you're into photography. You do that on the side a little bit. What do you shoot with your 12 Pro Max? What do you think of that camera? Or do you shoot with like a a different camera?
1: I have a normal camera, which I use for my... My landscapes, but for my casual everyday photography or like making like architectural photographs, I use the, uh, the iPhone Pro in Pro Raw format. Yeah, I have uh, found that between that and then when you do super resolution from Adobe, I mean, you get like mm-hmm. such really. Crisp negatives to play with. Right. And I, yeah, like I've basically like 80% of my photos are on the iPhone now.
0: So, one of the other things you write about is like emerging technologies and infrastructure for internet access. What do you think of Starlink and what Elon Musk is doing there?
1: I wish I could get one, man. Like, I mean, I haven't tried it. Like, I haven't, I can't really speak from personal experience, but it seems like a pretty, you know, good way to. To get access to people who've been basically, you know, screwed over by phone companies who've been like promising good internet and they don't deliver on it. You know, clearly like Tesla, you know, it's going to start with rich people and then it's going to have a trickle down impact. And yeah, why not? Like, I mean, other people have talked about it. There is a lot of negative uh, uh, connotations around startling constellation and how it ruins our astronomy and stuff. So, I, you know, I can't address right. those things, but purely on connecting people who have not been connected so far. Yeah. I would say it's a plus plus, you know.
0: Yeah. For sure.
1: I mean, the phone companies have taken so much tax dollars and done nothing with it. It just is... And it hey, like, this is why we need people like, yeah. you know, Elon or, you know, back in the day, like, yeah. you know, Steve or, you know, Larry and Sergey right. to do crazy things, which eventually become like mega companies. And then we hate them. <laughs> well, and
0: that's what well, you were talking about, hearing politicians talk about technology and they don't have knowledge of it. Hearing them talk about net neutrality and trying to address like broadband companies, that's also can be a frustrating experience because it's like they don't, I don't think they understand the implications of it. And whether you, for more government regulation or not, if me as a consumer have one option for broadband internet, yeah. like that's not a good experience for anybody. And if that company is not regulated, they can throttle, they could do whatever. And me as a consumer, I have no recourse, you
1: know? And plus, you know, like the other option, like look, look what happens now, right? With the broadband is that if you live in the region where like Frontier is a carrier or, you know, companies like that, they basically are selling you like 20-year-old technology and you have to compete in a global workforce, right? How do you do that? How is it in 21st century in a country which basically pioneered the idea of consumer internet? There are kids sitting in McDonald's parking lots doing homework or attending school on Zoom. We should be ashamed of ourselves. Instead of trying to figure that thing out, the politicians want to say, let's just kill the the companies which are actually bringing in the dollars, right? Like just destroy the technology giants first, right? Instead of saying, why aren't we regulating and going after these telcos? Because you know why? Because they're getting paid. Right. They get a lot of lobbying dollars and they've been getting it for a long time. And I think the the enemies of American innovation are the phone companies, the cable companies.
0: Yeah. There's the key to everything. All right, well, tell me, what are you excited about for the future? You know, Apple's, there's rumors that they're going to go into augmented reality and VR. Other companies are trying to do that as well. What technology or area are you most excited about to see in the next 10 years?
1: I'm excited about the internet still. You know, AR, VR, whatever you want to call it, the driving force is the network. Right. People still don't understand the network is what makes all technologies go around. From, from you know, whether it's the road network, the railway network, the airplane network, the logistics network, the internet network, the phone network. Everything is on the network, and I am still so excited about what future holds for us, right? Like, the fact is that you and I are having this conversation on Zoom in, like, high def, right? Like, that just is the gift of the network. And I think all AR, VR, everything, and the sooner we realize that how much is the network crucial to us, the better we are as a nation, the better we are as a society because we got to start looking at things in a more correct fashion. It's not about Apple or Google. Google did not become Google in isolation. It became Google because there was the network. Facebook is Facebook because of the network. Same goes for Twitter. Same goes for Tesla, believe it or not. In a few years from now, the internet will be as important to the cars. Cars are essentially programmable computers in five years from now. Right. That's it. Right. Like, yeah. So we got to be excited about the network and the possibilities and what's out there. So every individual technology which is in there, I'm, you know, it's going to be exciting to me. So, but one arching overarching theme is like, at least till I die, the network is going to be the center stage for me in my life. Internet is the story of my life. I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) That's good. Well, Om, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow Om. You probably have the coolest Twitter handle on Twitter. It's just at Om. O-M, at OM. And is there anything else that you would want to point people to from your work?
1: You know, come to my blog, OM.co. I occasionally still write. You know, I did not sign up for, you know, Substack or any of those things, mostly because I still believe in independence of my platform. I want to c- control my place. Yeah, I call it my homestead on, on the internet. And more people should do that. You know, you were asking me about, you know, people complaining about big platforms. I'm I'm a rebel. I do not want to be part of a of a, of somebody else's, you know, island. I want to be my own. Yeah. And I think that is what I would say. People should try and do, you know, keep their own presence, be fiercely independent in how they think. And don't let everyone else think for you or make you do things you don't want to do. I think that is mm. why we need the internet, you know, so we can actually have a lot of intellectual freedom. Mm. Om.co is my blog, and you can come. I don't write as much. I write once every two days, three days. Sometimes it's about tech. Sometimes it's about climate. Sometimes it's about baseball because I love baseball. <laughs> so I do share my photographs on my, on my blog. Yeah. So that's about it, man. I just want people to understand how much opportunity is still ahead of us. Mm. This network is is still un- under tap. Mm. Like, and there is so many young kids who've just grown up on the network. They will do amazing things. You know, there is so many Zuckerbergs, not the evil Zuckerberg part, but like <laughs> innovation. <laughs> aspect <laughs> the
0: innovative yeah. zuckerberg part yes
1: so many interesting things are gonna come i'm excited to see all of them every day i wake up more excited about the network and technology than i did you know like 10 years ago 20 years ago that yeah i think we have to maintain that positivity and innocence about the opportunities
0: that's awesome well om.co and at om on twitter Ohm, thanks again for joining us on apple insider
1: thank you my friend thank you for having me